We're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam on this glorious Tuesday morning, is it? Tuesday. And where are we? Oh yeah, Ljubljana. <laughs> in, the, in the beautiful city of love, right? Ljubljana means city of love. Um, so we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 6, Chapter 12, Vritra Sura's Glorious Death. And we're reading verse number 8. Lokta Sapala Yasyemi. Sorry. Lokta Sapala Yasyemi. Loka sapala yasyeme Shvasanti vivashabashe Shvasanti vivashabashe Dvija eva shichabadha Dvija eva shichabadha Sakala ihakaranam Sakala ihakaranam Loka sapala yasyeme Shvasanti vivashabashe Dvija eva shichabadha Sakala ihakaranam Loka, 
the worlds. Sapala, with their chief deities or controllers. Yasya, of whom? Ime, all these. Shvasanti, live. Vivasha, fully dependent. Vashe, under the control. Dvija, birds. Iva, like. Shicha, by a net. Badha, bound. Sa, that. Kala, time factor. Iha, in this. Karanam, the cause. You may be wondering that uh, the word dvija mean, means bird. Why does dvija mean bird? Anyone guess? Yes. Yes, they're twice born. They're coming first as the egg and then the egg hatches. And that's twice born. <laughs> so dvicha, two births. Okay, translation and purport by Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jaya. Translation, um, and we can be reminded who is speaking here. This is who is speaking. Vritrasura. And who is he speaking to? Indra. Vritrasura says, All living beings in all the planets of this universe, including the presiding deities of all the planets, are fully under the control of the Lord. They work like birds caught in a net who cannot move independently. Purport. The difference between the suras and the asuras is that the suras know that nothing can happen without the desire of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, whereas the asuras cannot understand the supreme will of the Lord. In this fight, Vritrasura is actually the Sura, whereas Indra is the Asura. No one can act independently. Rather, everyone acts under the direction of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, victory and defeat come according to the results of one's karma. And the judgment is given by the Supreme Lord, karmana daivanetrena. Since we act under the control of the Supreme, according to our karma, no one is independent from Brahma down to the insignificant ant. 
Whether we are defeated or victorious, the Supreme Lord is always victorious because everyone acts under his directions. <laughs> and so ends Srila Prabhupada's purport. I like this last sentence. Whether we are defeated or victorious, the Supreme Lord is always victorious. Why is he always victorious? Because everyone acts under his directions. Sometimes we see things happen, people acting in strange ways, in crazy ways, in mad ways, in terrible ways. And we may feel, oh, this is terrible, this is very strange, this is very unfortunate. Uh, this is crazy. <laughs> but here Prabhupada says, everyone is acting under the Lord's direction and therefore he is always victorious. That's nice. Prabhupada also says something rather curious earlier in the purport. Um, in this fight, Vritrasura is actually the Sura, whereas Indra is the Asura. How is this? <laughs> He's saying they're actually acting as the opposite of how they're supposed to be acting. I want to uh, kind of step back and reflect on the pastime. Uh, I'm, I'm going to quote from Rig Veda to do this, but before we go there, let's recall uh, what is uh, the mm, third verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Chapter 1, verse number 3. Yes. Nigama kalpataror galitam palam. And then? Shukka mukat amrita dravasam yutam. And then? Pivata bhagavatam rasam alayam. Muhuraho Rasika Bhuvi Babuka. This verse is addressed to the Rasikas, to those who are relishers, who are connoisseurs of the Bhagavatam. But the first word is Nigama. Confirmed. Nigama ni means down, gama means going, going down. And it refers to Veda, uh, but it implies Shishipanchatatvagija. It implies, it suggests that the the Veda is the root. Roots go down, and then uh, Galitam Palam. What is Palam? Fruit. <laughs> and Galitam. Palam is ripened fruit. So the verse is beginning, it's saying that uh, the Bhagavatam is the ripened fruit of the tree 
of Vedic literature, the Nigama. So generally that's what we're interested in when there's a tree with some fruit. If the fruit is ripe, then it's that fruit that's interesting. That's what we go for. That's what we are interested, especially we want to enjoy. Or being Vaishnavas, we don't want to enjoy, we want to offer it to Krishna and then to honor the remnants. But in any case, the fruit is what is interesting. Um, that being the case, we might say, well, and so the Veda, yeah, it's there, but we don't really care about it so much. <laughs> uh, and indeed, that's the case. Most of the time, we don't we don't spend time studying the Rig Veda, and we have various reasons for that. Uh, but uh, one we can say is because we have the Bhagavatam, and. Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, even if all the Vedas would be burned, if we have the Bhagavatam, there would be no loss. Still, I want to call your attention to the fact that this story of Indra, Indra's fight with Ritra is in the Rig Veda. It's referred to several times. Nowhere do we get of a full, you know, first this happened, then that happened, then the next thing happened. It's, it's always just referring to sometimes a bit more, sometimes a bit less in the Rig Veda to this story because many of the hymns of the Rig Veda are addressed to Indra and they are intended to please Indra. They are glorifications of Indra. And so the poet who is uh, composing the rishis who have uh, written down, who recite, who compose uh, the Veda, uh, they are helping Indra to remember his glories. And what he's most famous for is the killing of Vritrasura. Vritra. So I'm going to read uh, two verses from which two or three verses. This comes from uh, Rig Veda 1, 32, 2, and then 11 and 12. Uh, so it's just part from the first mandala. The Rig Veda is divided into ten mandalas. Each are collections of uh, Veda, of hymns. Uh, the first four mandalas are mainly addressed to Agni. There are a lot of prayers to Agni. Uh, and then there's so many other divinities addressed in other mandalas. Uh, the ninth mandala is mainly a glorification of soma, uh, the drink which apparently was uh, being 
prepared and offered in the sacrifice and then the priests would take it and um, apparently they would get quite intoxicated by it. I have a godbrother in Germany who is uh, a bit of an entrepreneur, Jai Gora Prabhu, and he has now produced uh, a, a drink that he sells as Soma Rasa. <laughs> he was just at our uh, the festival, the uh, Kirtan Mela at Goloka Daman. He was there with his little little uh, stand <laughs> selling selling his bottles of Soma Rasa and. Uh, well, uh, I tried it. I took a little taste of it. I didn't feel intoxicated, but it did have a nice, strong taste. Uh, he's, he has a brochure. It's explaining how powerful this drink is. Um, okay, so here we go. This is mm, this is going to sound a little strange for you. This is Rig Veda. The waters stood still. Their husband was the Dasa. Their herdsman, the serpent, Vritra. Hemmed in, closed in, like the cows by the pani. What was the hidden opening for the water? That Indra uncovered after he smashed Vritra. You, Indra, then became the tail of a horse when he struck his fangs at you. He is Vritra, fangs, poisonous teeth. You, the god alone, you, Indra, conquered the cows and, O champion, you conquered the Soma. You set loose the seven rivers to flow. Now, at this point, everyone looks with a blank look. What was that all about? Now, um, actually, this was later in the hymn and going earlier to the, in the hymn. It says, like bellowing milk cows. Bellowing means, <clears throat> like bellowing milk cows streaming out the waters went straight down to the sea. Acting the bull, Indra chose for his own the Soma. He drank of the pressed Soma among the Trikadrukas. Right. At this point, you may say, right, um, shall we go back to the Bhagavatam? <laughs> So the point I want to make is Vritra, one point is that Vritra is described as a serpent. And that's interesting because in the Bhagavatam, in this, these passages, 
what's happening. Indra is slicing off one arm and then later the second arm of Ritra. So what kind of a demon is this? It's a snake, but he, he has arms. In any case, that's something a little mysterious. Um, and also, what is this about waters? So in the Rig Veda, the understanding is that the whole universe is mm, drying up. And the reason it's drying up is because of this demon, Vritra. Vritra literally means obstacle. And as a snake, he's kind of wrapped himself around all the water of the universe so that everyone is choking. And then along comes Indra, and he destroys Ritra, and thus the waters of the universe are freed and able to flow. And because the waters are able to flow, Haribo, we can all be happy, we can, we can live, we can survive and thrive. Or we could take this in a slightly, how to say, Rasik way <laughs> and speak of uh, the, the waters as the Rasa, which then later the Rasikas, uh, reading the Bhagavatam, will relish. Um, yeah, so this, this connection is here. But then what happens in the Bhagavatam? Prabhupada says here, Vritrasura is actually the sura, whereas Indra is the asura. In the Rig Veda, Vritra is the asura. And Indra is the sura. Indra is the hero. He's the one who's killing. So what's going on? Is this a contradiction? What seems to be happening because the Bhagavatam is the ripened fruit of the Vedic literature, is that the Bhagavatam is giving the purport, it's giving the inside story. It's telling us, in effect, yes, in the Rig Veda it says like this, Indra's the hero, yes, yes, we all know that, but really what's going on what's going on behind the scenes, if you like. Uh, if we understand who Vritra really is, that he is Chitraketu, who was cursed, he was, he was a devotee, he, he got um, Parvati a bit upset, and so on and so forth. If we understand all of that, then we understand why Vritra is acting the way he is in this fight, basically what's he saying? He's saying, come on, come on, come on, you can do it, you can kill, kill me, do it, kill me. I want to be killed. Why does he want to be killed? He's anxious to resume his identity as a devotee. Right? He's tired of being a demon. 
this is one of the, you can say, features of the demonic mentality. The demon wants to be defeated. We see this with Hiranyaksha. Hiranyaksha is going all over the universe looking for a good fight. And when he goes to Varuna, Varuna who is, he's, Varuna is an old man. <laughs> he says, I'm, I'm no match for you. Don't even bother with me. Why, go and fight with Vishnu. He'll give you a good fight. Don't, don't bother me. Hmm. So that is going on. Uh, what else is happening here? This chapter is called Ritrasura's Glorious Death. This is a theme throughout the Bhagavatam. We've spoken about this so many times. How um, it's it's a story of how to have a glorious death, and the glorious death of of Maharaj Parikshit is the frame. Uh, and his death will be described in the twelfth canto. We're leading up to it through, and he is listening to all these stories of glorious deaths. Uh, and occasionally, there is a description of a non-glorious death, an infamous death. I was just reading. Uh, sometimes I. I read something a little strange, as some of you know. Um, <laughs> there was a, a woman in uh, England in 1913. She was an activist uh, for women's suffrage. Suffrage means the right to vote. And uh, I believe it was not until 1920-something that women got the right to vote in in America, in the UK, I guess, and then in America. And there was a lot of um, a lot of activity, actions, a lot of protest marches, and so on uh, were being led uh, by these, especially women. But it wasn't only women. But this one woman, Emily uh, Dickinson, I think was her name. Um, attended uh, one horse race in Derby in the UK. She was a leader of this uh, suffrage movement in the UK. And uh, she was on the side of the track where the horses were racing. And the king of England was present there, King and King George V or something, I don't know. King something, King Edward, would have been King Edward, I think. In any case, uh, the king's, and the king's horse was there. And the, the, the horses were, were running around the track, and suddenly this woman rushed out. She, she climbed through the barrier, and she rushed out, and she ran to the horse of the king. And the horses were going full speed. I mean, you know, these are race horses. They're going really fast. And uh, this horse smacked her uh, 
uh, and she fell unconscious. And uh, also the apparently the horse fell down and the horse rider and he had a concussion and she was taken to the hospital and two days later she died. And nobody knows exactly what she, what, you know, what was she trying to do? What was going on? Um, but while she was in the hospital, she was getting all kinds of letters, and most of the letters she got was were were letters not of sympathy, but the opposite. They were saying, "You terrible woman! You foolish, terrible woman!" It was she was uh, considered to be like a mad woman. Uh, and so her her death, I, I just mentioned because it was kind of an infamous, infamous death, you know. So it's something that would be the opposite of what we uh, are, um, in a sense, invited to witness here in the case of Ritra. Uh, Ritra is eager to have his death, but he has a purpose behind it, which is a higher purpose. He is longing uh, for that condition of freedom. I was thinking also one more way of uh, looking at this whole pastime. And I always uh, like to say, Prabhupada said, look at the Bhagavatam, discuss it from all angles of angles of vision. So what if we would uh, uh, view this pastime of Indra and Vritrasura uh, coming together and fighting not as two separate individuals uh, but rather as two aspects of the mind. In other words, can we look at this also allegorically? And in this case, um, what do we have? In this case, again, Indra is is not the hero. He's kind of the anti-hero. You know, it, it's in, in stories, there's a hero and there's an anti-hero. There's a good guy and there's a bad guy. <laughs> and we always like to know who is the good guy and who's the bad guy so that we can identify with the good guy. And when the good guy wins, then we're all happy. Yay, the good guy wins. And because I like the good guy, I'm also good. But in this story, it's, it's, it's um, more complicated. Who is the good guy? Who is the bad guy? And who indeed, when we are embattled within ourselves, we have some uh, some desire uh, for Krishna consciousness. And on the other side, we have some other desire, uh, which may be, instead of anukhuyasya sankalpa, accepting something favorable for Krishna, uh, we may have some impulse to accept something which is not favorable for Krishna consciousness. And so we may uh, become confused. Indra is 
I would say above all in a rather confused state because what's happened? He's just lost his uh, his 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 thunderbolt weapon, and he doesn't want to pick it up. He could pick it up and continue fighting, but he is hesitant, and that's why we're getting uh, these state these uh, statements from. Vritrasuri. Um, he's, he's saying, "Come on, you can do it. You know, stand up and fight like a man. Let's have a good fight. Because I want you to kill me. You're supposed to kill me. And but you are you are feeling embarrassed now. You're feeling defeated. Um, don't feel that way." You should understand that in any case, victory and defeat, it's not in your control. And then Prabhupada is saying the clincher, the, you know, here's the real point in his purport. Whether we are defeated or victorious, the Supreme Lord is always victorious <laughs> because everyone acts under his direction. So if we can keep that in mind, as we sometimes may be experiencing some back and forth within our minds about should I, should I not do this, do that. Um, let us remember, in any case, Krishna is victorious. Krishna will always be victorious. And that helps us clear the mind to, we want to be on, on the winning side, Right? Everyone wants to be on the winning side. So then we can be confident that we'll be on the winning side if we just remember that Krishna is the one who wins. And it's not ourselves, it's not someone else. It's Krishna who is the, the winner. And if we remember that Krishna is the winner, we will not be the loser. Yeah. Okay, so the verse again, Loka, Sapala, Yasyeme, Shvasanti, Vivashavashe, Vija, Iva, Shicha, Badha, Sakala, Iha, Karanam. All living beings in all the planets of this universe, including the presiding deities of all the planets, are fully under the control of the Lord. They work like birds caught in a net who cannot move independently. Dvija iva, like birds in a net. We're all caught in a net. Hare Krishna. Grantara Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai. I'm happy to be back in the sweet country of Slovenia. I'm coming uh, not directly, but uh, indirectly. I'm coming from the largest country in the world, China, to one of the smallest countries. And when I tell people that I visit Slovenia, they say, where? <laughs> and when I say Slovenia has two million people, they say, Two million people. Only part of our city has two million. 
Greater Beijing is said to have 130 million people. Yeah. So it's nice to be where, you know, Ljubljana, it's like a nice little village. <laughs> uh, little show and tell, I'm happy to report we have one book now in Chinese. Uh, this was... Um, this was actually my master's thesis, which I wrote on the subject of deity worship, Archana, called Krishna Seva. Uh, we we published it with uh, one university um, publisher in in China, so it's official officially published by Yunnan University Press, and. Um, we we did it in dual language, Chinese and English, so that uh, the Chinese educated people who know some English, they can check, okay, this is translated like that, what is that in the original? <laughs> so, um, yes, and the cover was designed by the University Press. I think they did very nicely. They have Krishna on the front, and uh, they put Krishna also on every page. <laughs> so it's 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 nicely done. And uh, the editor, I met the person in charge. It's wonderful, wonderful person. Very eager uh, to help. And he said, actually, it was a miracle that we could publish this book uh, because normally uh, the censors of the government, uh, he said, a book like this, normally it shouldn't be possible. Uh, but Hare Krishna, here it is. <laughs> so this is uh, one thing we're doing. Good, I'll stop there if there's some comment or question or discussion we can see I'm just here passing through I'm, I'm on my way to Pobrisha, uh to hide um, because I need to finish writing this book on cows um, I'd, another show and tell I'd like to introduce you to my friend this is a little cow her name is Goswami Nee And she's inspiring and helping out whenever whenever I don't know what to write the next sentence she helps <laughs> yeah yeah uh, sorry sometimes swamis you know they get a little silly sometimes. <laughs> Okay, everybody, everybody happy? Happy? Yes. Can you tell a little bit more about the second book you're writing now? Oh, um, Cow Care? Yes, it's called Cow Care in Hindu animal ethics. Animal ethics is a kind of 
it's a trendy subject in the academy, in, in philosophy, ethics, and so on. And I was invited to write this book by the editor of the book series on animal ethics from one publisher. And so it's, um, it's an attempt to bring the subject that's, I would say, close to our hearts uh, to a wider, let's say, educated public. Uh, and so th- I read these verses from the Rig Veda because this is in my book. It's in the first chapter where I'm doing a survey of uh, literary uh, expression about cows from the Rig Veda through the Bhagavatam and later literature. That's my first chapter. Uh, in the last chapter, the fifth chapter, I um, introduce uh, two projects of ISKCON, namely the Mayapur project and the Nuvrajadam project of Hungary as places where cows are cared for within uh, communities, uh, which I'm calling anticipatory communities, fancy word to say. Uh, they show a way of anticipating how a future could be for the world. So in other words, although they're extremely small in comparison to yeah, the numbers of cows that are slaughtered every day and every year, uh, they're giving a little sampling, a little idea of what could be done on a wider scale. And then uh, I'm also in another chapter going into some depth on this, uh, the, whole, the whole idea of uh, ethics in relation to animals, bringing in the idea of dharma, uh, the idea of yoga, the idea of bhakti, and engage, engaging these with Western ethical thought, ideas of animal rights, animal welfare, uh, and there's a tradition called um, the ethics of the ethics of care, uh, which I'm finding very useful. So, like that, yeah. So the book is um, supposed to come out um, probably beginning of next year. And uh, we are aiming to make it available for anyone who wants to read it free of charge uh, as a digital book. And for that I'm doing, I need to do some fundraising. It's called open access and the publisher needs to have a big chunk of Lakshmi for that. But we're getting close. It's happening. Uh, so that'll be nice because we want the book to be read. <laughs> and usually academic books don't get read very much by many people. Uh, they're kind of a exclusive audience most of the time. 
So we're going to try to make it openly available. Yes, Hare Krishna. How did you connect this Rigveda passage? This Rigveda passage, how how was it connected to cow, cow, uh, ethics and cows? Ah, it's it's a it's an introductory portion. Um, I mean, this is going to be difficult to translate um, on the on the on the fly, as we say. But um, let's see what I'm doing. Well, I, I introduce these verses as a kind of teaser. Like, this is about cows in the Rig Veda. Do you understand what's going on? No. Well, I'm going to explain. Um, and, and then I introduce Rig Veda and why this is considered important. And then I say, in the Rig Veda hymn quoted above, the poet employs cows and a bull figuratively in connection with water and Indra, respectively. Also, the poet alludes within the main narrative of Indra's victory to another Rig Vedic narrative about cow confinement that we will discuss later. This is where it's referring to the Panis. The Panis are a mysterious group of um, people who seem to make trouble for um, priests who are making sacrifices, making Vedic rituals. They they steal things. Um, the motif of confined cows released, often identified with their milk-giving capacity, points to a broad Vedic symbol for flourishing life. Freely roaming and grazing milk-producing cows seek and find their watering place. So that's an image. Cows who roam freely and they come to a place where they can drink. That's an image of flourishing. Things are going well. In direct opposition to flourishing life is a is constriction or obstruction. Vritra means obstacle, which is or brings about decay, destruction, chaos, and death. Here, the water's freedom is constrained by their husband, identified as the Dasa people essentially outsiders to the Rig Vedic community, which designated itself as Aryan peoples, roughly the civilized ones. That's how I introduce. <laughs> and it goes on from there, and I, I tell some stories um, later from Mahabharata, I tell the story of King Nriga. We know it from the Bhagavatam. It's also in the Mahabharata where it's complicated. You want to do something 
good, you want to give some cows in charity, and then it turns out you weren't giving your cow, it was somebody else's cow, and you get cursed and you become a lizard. Uh, and, you know, that brings in uh, other points about the, the complexity of Dharma. I talk about that in a later chapter. Yeah, the whole book will be there, available for you to read. <laughs> yes. Hare Krishna, Grantaraj Shimad Bhagavatam, Ki Jai, Srila Prabhupada, Ki Jai, Gaur Premanande, Hare Krishna. So I wish you a wonderful day today in Krishna Seva.